When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Ducks Confidential Podcast. I am James Kreppi, and he is Aaron Fentress, and we are back for another edition here in this uh, edition of the podcast in early March, where uh, it is that time of year, which, of course, it is college basketball time of year. It's also a little bit with the NFL and the draft process, so we'll be getting into really both of those topics as, obviously, the basketball season at this point coming to what is as it stands right now a rather disappointing finish for Oregon uh we'll get to that on the men's front in particular we'll go over the combine and also obviously the NCAA tournament coming up as well in the uh women's side of things of course their uh, Pac-12 tournament already taking place last week so we'll get to all those topics starting with uh this like I say really uncharacteristically so uh under Dana Altman certainly you know this time of year under Dana Altman usually we're uh, speaking about in terms of uh, platitudes for some great win streak they're on, uh, exactly how high on the seed line they'll be in the NCAA tournament and how they've turned it on now for several weeks. This team right now is just the antithesis of all of those things. Uh, they are very much not only not on a win streak, they are on quite the losing streak uh, right now going into the Pac-12 tournament. And, now there's not a matter of debate. There's not a matter of, oh, well, this is what I think about, uh, where they stand in the bubble or those things. No, there's, there's no conversation to be had here. They are not in the NCAA tournament and winning one or two or three games in the Pac-12 tournament will not get them there. They have to win all four. And yes, it'll take four because they didn't even get a top four seed in the Pac-12 tournament. That is hard to imagine, quite frankly. It's hard to imagine for what this team was even three weeks ago, let alone before the season started. So with all that said, before we get into the game and the matchup with Oregon State and whatnot, in the big picture, Aaron, on the season, what are your thoughts on what has been, Yeah, as I say, really at this point, and it's almost unbelievably so, not just because, oh, well, it's Dana and therefore this team is just uh, uh, owed something. No, hardly. Uh, this is a talented team that just is so far massively underachieved. It's shocking. Uh, you know, I mean, in this day, we talk about it a lot that Dana Altman teams, a lot of times when they've struggled early, they've fixed it late. And this team looked like they were going to do that. And then they just fell to pieces and, and not, 
It's, it's one thing to lose to good teams. They're losing, losing to mediocre to bad teams and losing badly. <laughs> the scores aren't even really close. I mean, 11 points to, to Washington, you know, uh, 20 to Washington State. It, it just, it doesn't make any sense. It's really bizarre to watch. Um, you obviously are watching it closer than, to me, but if someone told me coming out of, um, hell, let's go back to, uh, when they won what five and six, five and four in a row, sorry, after Stanford, that they were going to lose one, two, three, four, five, six at the next eight. I would have said, you're a fool. I would taken that bet all day long. So I'm, I'm floored that it went down this way. And it's not like they suffered a bunch of massive injuries or something like that. They just stopped being able to play basketball. And what's really funny though is that they did all that nonsense while almost beating Arizona. And beating us or almost beating USC and then beating UCLA. So they showed in those three games that they can run with the best teams, but then just fell to pieces against the far lesser teams. It's bizarre. Yeah. Um, that's, that's been the part of this in the big picture that I think is really what has to be most flummoxing, uh, for internally for the coaching staff. I mean, Dana has said as much. Uh, after the Arizona loss, he said as much. Um, and it ha, I mean, it surely is for the, for this fan base that this team does show that it is capable of not just what we think they're capable of. You know, fans have to hold on to hope that the team is capable of all kinds of great things. Um, but they're, they're capable of what those who are watching along the way, particularly even early in the season, notice and believe like, well, wow, they're playing like that. This is going to be a really good team. So it's like your eyes are lying to you for part of the season. And then when they play the top opponents, yeah, they, they raise their level. Now, of course, you could say, well, that's indicative of immature teams, of young teams uh, in particular, who just, yeah, they, they play up to or down to the level of competition. I think it goes beyond that. I, I don't think it's as, I don't, I don't believe that's as, as simple a reason, uh, for a lot of this. I think it's probably a little bit more complicated than as, oh, well, they just played at the level of competition. Clearly they raised their level against the top teams. That's there. And yes, some of their clunker losses have been to the lower competition. But even along the way in some of the middle games, I don't know if that's, if you call that raising the level of play or, or frankly lowering it. I think that this is just a very inconsistent team all year that again, I think we touched on this last time going into the season. I think a lot of people believe that this was going to be a team built on size. Because it has a lot of size. And instead, it's been a guard-centric team. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I think that that's fine. The point is, what I'm getting at is that nobody really knew what the identity was. And we believed, like, well, yeah, they're probably going to be bigger. Because after all, they have Dante and Kepnang and Johnson and Biddle. So when you have that much size, surely... They're, they're going to play through the bigs. And it wasn't until this last game that you saw Dante and Kepnang play together. And that was by really by force because Will Richardson wasn't playing. 
So I think that I don't think it's a bad decision to be a guard centric team. That it, that is where their best players are. But I think that because in part that they did play that style, I'm not sure that they ever, like I say, really established a true identity um, entirely. Or the closest they got was when Richardson and Young were leading them as a duo, but especially individually, uh, when either of them led them in scoring. It, basically, at some point there in February, they were undefeated when either one of them led them in scoring. And then they very much were not. Then, then it didn't matter who was leading them in scoring. They were, they were on the losing end of things. And as I say, amid this losing streak here at the end, all right, Richardson was out this last game. It, it wasn't just on any individual one of them. I mean, it, every, every one of these losses had something a little bit different. The losses to Cal or Arizona State were not the same reasons as the loss to um, USC or to Arizona. And each of them had kind of the, their own different formulas for things, whether it be effort related, whether it be rebounding related, whether it be shooting related, you name it. That's why I think, like I say, it's it's a it's a flummoxing, it's a confusing, it's a frustrating sort of a season. And now here we are <laughs> entering the conference tournament, and as I say, without four straight wins, they're not going to the NCAA tournament in any way, shape, or form. And quite honestly, you start to ask, in the big picture, going to an NIT is not disastrous. It's not. But if they were to lose to Oregon State somehow, somehow, or even if they beat Oregon State but then lose to Colorado in the quarters, what's... What's the feeling like about going to the NIT at that point? <laughs> I mean, obviously, again, we know it's fra- it's going to be framed through the lens of disappointment in terms of what the team, you know, not reaching potential and, and all those things. But now, uh, in this era, as the you know, as time has allowed for where the NIT certainly has has been diminished, relatively speaking. Now the NIT, you know, has become like not just the conciliatory tournament, but uh, it's more a developmental sort of thought process. I don't, again, you know, look, we'll cross that bridge when we get there, I suppose, but I'm just not sure what the upside to playing in that event is for this team. I mean, again, hey, your competitors keep going your season. Because they don't have a lot of de- developmental guys. Is that they're an older team? Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. I mean, Richardson and um, and Williams and Young are older guys, and they were all honored on Senior Day. And again, we don't we don't really talk to players with this team, so who knows? Um, you know, but when you're honored on Senior Day, you know that's usually indicative of your thought process in terms of the future. So. Assuming for a moment, and I don't think it's going out on a limb that that well, Young is done regardless; he has no eligibility left. But that Richardson and Williams are also uh, done in that case. I mean, you're talking about two starters and three of the top six players by ways of uh, minutes and and time of production and whatnot. I mean, short of telling me that you know what development of the bigs, development of a different style of play, um, 
I'm just not seeing, you know, this is bottom line is like I said, this is not like, this isn't a freshman laden team. Uh, is my point. So again, I, you know, cross that bridge when you get there, you know, hold out hope if you're a Ducks fan that they can pull off four straight wins. I will say this, that as long as Richardson plays, uh, this week in Las Vegas, there is no cause for fear by anybody who they would play. Anybody in the bracket. They don't, they, they have any, they don't have any reason to fear playing Certainly not Oregon State on Wednesday. I mean, nobody, nobody in America has reason to. Wow, shots State. fired. Um, Go ahead. but, uh, they're, they're the worst power conference team in the country. I mean, that's just, it, it, that's not me saying it. The, that's not a, you know, that's, that's just facts. That's just the, what the net, you know, <laughs> it's just net. That's what, just what it is. I mean, that they're, they're standings and, you know, your rec, you are what your record says you are. That's, that's what the situation is. Um, but another, you know, another matchup with Colorado in the second round or potentially Arizona in a semifinal or what are the LA schools in a final? There's no one who they should fear. I'm not telling you that they're better than every one of those teams. What I'm telling you is that the, that their peak, they have played with or beaten those teams. They split with USC. They swept UCLA, played well with Colorado, albeit, um, both times, you know, the, the road team won those games, but I, I don't think there's anyone they have to really worry about other than Arizona being, you know, the caliber of team that it is. Yes, that's the one of the entire group who I'd say they have the most to truly um, be concerned with until they get there. But they've played well in their one meeting with them. You know, again, I'm not telling you that they're going to go out and win this whole thing. What I'm saying is, is if you're a fan, you want to hold out hope that, you know, winning four games in four days is possible. This team has given you reason to believe that it is capable of such a thing overall. But going into it, I would ask, but not right now, <laughs> or, or do you? Um, is it possible? Because, as you mentioned, because they have lost six of their last eight games. They have lost their last three games. And you can caveat the last one with Richardson not being there all you want. But the 11 point loss to Washington before that wasn't exactly pretty either. So this is, as I say, it's a, it's a strange place to be when we're talking about an Oregon men's basketball team heading into the Pac-12 tournament, not just on a losing streak, but in a situation where, as I say, you're we're really grasping at straws to come up for a cause for hope and optimism. They're toast. That's, it's just not what we're, They're it's dead. just not what anybody's accustomed to. They're down. They're um, they're, they're in a tough spot. Yeah, they're yeah, they're in a tough spot. And, but but we do get for for our audience, we do get one more matchup between the Ducks and Beavers on uh, on Wednesday afternoon. Um, so set your calendars accordingly uh, for a two thirty <laughs> matchup there. Um, and hey, you know that's I've I've already I'll, I'll be there. I'll be covering it and whatnot. I've I've kind of already framed it in my in, in my mind um, in the sense of. This is a game where, at least, if you're Oregon, it's, will it be, all right, this is a disappointing year, but at least they didn't lose to Oregon State. If you're Oregon State, it's, this is a horrific season, Mm -hmm. but... 
if they somehow, some way snap the losing streak, and that's all of it is that that's all that the, the, the entire season boils down to is not ending it on, on the scale of losing streak that it is. But at least they didn't lose the, or at least they got that win over Oregon at the end. Whoever wins it is going to be able to say something in the lens of at least. And conversely, if Oregon just holds serve and avoids that kind of embarrassment, they say, all right, that's what they have to say about it. For Oregon State, it becomes that is a the the season at its least. That is that is a fall of of incredible scale. And for that matter, conversely, if Oregon State manages to get this one positive moment in what has been a obviously season full of very disappointing moments, um, for Oregon it becomes another, you know, kind of in the same sense, a, a finish that has finished at its least point, at its lowest point. Uh, if, cause like I say, where, where do you, where would you even begin? Um, if Oregon were to lose this game to start, you know, <laughs> where it knows it has to win all four. And if we're to lose to not just a rival, but to lose to, like I say, a team that in every metric and every statistic, uh, it is just so far inferior to everyone in the league. That's it. They play hard, and I know they've been bit by the injury and everything else. That's for for an Oregon State podcast to get into. But this is this is the ultimate kind of it's a game that they have to win, and yet it's a lose lose sort of situation for Oregon. Um, just the individual matchup itself is the one that they really need. Quite honestly, was the one they really needed to avoid because of this being part of kind of the dialogue and discourse, right. but. Yep. It's a rough one. It's a rough one to, uh, I mean, that's what, what I was there to say about the season. It just is. It's been very disappointing. Um, but, you know, the power of March is that with the wind streaks and these sorts of things that, you know, you can, you can start to, uh, you can start to reframe <laughs> the entire discourse and, uh, discourse of, uh, of what the season's been like. You're listening to Ducks Confidential. We'll be back after a quick break. To the combine uh, and that the the fun that was in Indianapolis here this past week uh, for all of the Ducks players who were there and uh, things are wrapping up on Sunday. So uh, from Johnny Johnson and Devin Williams being there on the, the beginning of things for the receivers, of course, C.J. Verdell as well. Kayvon Thibodeau being the main attraction for Oregon's purposes and then uh, Verone McKinley and Michael Wright uh, having a chance to... Uh, uh, Interview each of those guys, uh, during their, uh, various media interview sessions. And then obviously, uh, their results on the field. Uh, any one of them stand out to you, Aaron, uh, in terms of, uh, either what was said, uh, what was done on the football field or whatnot, uh, during the course of the last week, uh, from Indianapolis? Well, obviously, Kayvon was pretty impressive, which the, the 458 blew me away. I didn't have him in the 458 range. Maybe four six eight, we still would have been moving pretty well, but four five eight I thought was pretty pretty impressive. Um but he didn't do anything else really. He did the bench. He didn't do vert. Yeah, he did the right. bench, which um believe it or not, this this year the doing the bench was actually something of note. Um and I am not gonna bore everybody with all the reasons and details, but the bottom line is of the three hundred and twenty some odd players who were 
at the combine this year. I, I believe it was north of 250. It may have been north of 275. Uh, did not lift this year. Wow. Uh, and that this was, again, I'm not going to get into the reasons for it because whatever, but bottom line, they didn't. Um, so doing the bench this year was actually something of note. So yeah, on the day that he did, um, I had kind of been given every indication that like, yeah, he's actually going to lift. And I go like, well, all right. So the media interviews are in one side of a very big convention center room. And the bench press is on the other side of like a curtain in the same very large room. It's humongous. It's, it's, it's giant. It's right. the size of multiple football fields. So I just walked across to the other side to where they were doing the bench and just waited out just because it was like, well, all right, if he's going to do it, you know, shoot, I'll, I'll hang out for a minute. There's only going to be like eight guys <laughs> to, to wait through this, uh, you know, so go ahead. Um, and yeah, like I say, uh, he had a really impressive showing there. And to your point, yeah, on the 40. I, yeah, I, I'll call me crazy, but yeah, because of the way he had said it the day before, not only because I mean, the guys are always confident in that sense, but I was like, I have a feeling that he's going to run sub four, six here. Yeah. I think he might, when it be, you know, yeah, I know on the unofficial, it was a little higher and then it, it got kind of moved down, but when I have a feeling he's going to show something here, um, in, in the 40. So yeah, really impressive though, nonetheless. And then yeah, to your point, he'd be pulled out from there. Um, I, I will say a little bit disappointing in the sense that he, uh, he had said he was going to do everything. Um, but the whole idea or notion that, uh, well, it was the length of the day and how long the days were. Let me put it in a degree of context for folks. The combine is a hurry up and wait event for everyone involved, but most especially and importantly for the players. It is the ultimate hurry up and wait kind of event. So on all, on everything, they're being ushered from one station to the next in terms of different obligations they have to do. So everything that you see on, um, during the draft, everything that you see with all the various graphics and the guys, you know, standing in front of a, you know, they're holding the football in front of some kind of light setup or all that stuff. That's all filmed at the combine. All the TV partners have their own rooms that they go into and they film it for each network's thing and, and what have you. Um, because you have, you know, 99% of the players who are going to be drafted all in one place. So yes, they, they take care of all that. They do the media interviews. They do the on field tests. Obviously. Um, they also do the medical meetings with teams. You name it. So it is it's very long days is very, 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 very long days. And it's extraordinarily long days for guys who have medical histories. Now, I'm not saying that that was Kayvon's case. It was just in general. So, for instance, there are a couple of guys who I'd heard who basically had, like, no medical history at all uh, by way of serious injuries or anything. They go in for those tests. They're in and out in, like, 10 or 15 minutes. I mean, there's just nothing to say. Like, you have, like, you had no broken bones or surgeries or anything in your life. You know, it's about it. Like, you know, you get your basic... Diagnose, you know, tests and whatnot, but otherwise it's like, all right, in and out and on about your day. For guys who had like multiple significant surgeries in their careers and lives, oh my goodness. And you hear stories, guys are in there for medical tests for eight and nine and 10 hours. Hours. Your entire day is <laughs> spent on these medical tests going on with this stuff. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot. Um, it's a very, like I say, it's a hurry up and wait kind of event for, for everybody, but especially for the players. So yeah, not a lot by way of on field results to really go over for the group. Um, 
unfortunately, the most comprehensive was for Giant Johnson. Um, Devin Williams only ran the 40 once and then clearly tweaked something. They didn't mention it much on the broadcast, but as soon as he did it and then didn't run a second time and then I saw it not taking part with the uh, position group, I went, all right, clearly something was there because, yeah, he, he, he withdrew from there. Uh, and then he tweeted out that he, you know, he said he was going to be healthy enough to, to give it a go at pro day, but Johnson went through everything. Devin did not. Um, he did some of the, the, the vertical and the broad and those things, um, beforehand, but in terms of the individual work, he didn't. Uh, CJ said he was going to, and then he didn't in the end. Like I say, KT pulled out there, uh, and Verone and Michael, uh, Verone, uh, certainly did quite a bit. Uh, Michael also did some, but again, some of the other individual tests, uh, I think with the vertical and the broad and those things, uh, he didn't. So not a lot by way of the measurables to go over necessarily. Um, no, right around a four, to be honest, four, five, seven. That shocked me. Yeah. That was one that I got to admit, I I thought. I thought he was at least a 4-4 four, four I think guy. that. Well, <laughs> he still might, he might he was, be. He was shooting for that. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, that was, of, of all of them, I, I think that might have been the one that quite honestly was the one that most surprised me. Um, that's one where, you know, yeah, I'm sure he'll, quite honestly, I'm sure he'll probably run again at Pro Day. Most guys, if they run the time good enough uh, on the laser, they're not going to bother at Pro Day. I think Michael might give it another go. Um, for a guy who, for a guy who was that strong a return man, that was a bit surprising. Um, I, I got to admit, yeah, that's that's one that it's hard to uh, it's hard to really I want to say reconcile or something. I mean, it, look, four five seven is quite honestly, to the average human being, is a pretty phenomenal <laughs> rate of speed. But for a guy who is his size, who is also trying to, you know, showcase not only his ability at cornerback, but especially in the uh, punt and kick return game, and he had done it well in college, um, four five seven on a comparative basis at the position is not that quick. Not close uh, and like to you say for a guy his size, yeah. For, for a guy, for you know, in his, you know, at his position, at his size, you know, in, in the 173 pounds um, that he is, uh, it's a little bit surprising, yeah, uh, that it was on the slow, slower side for a player of that ilk. Uh, to be clear, like I say, I'm not, uh, not that either one of us is going to go out there and run a four, five, seven tomorrow, but you know, we're not. <laughs> not playing cornerback, applying um, for an NFL, NFL job, and most people have him going in the first round. Which to me, I can't. First, I mean, he first. obviously has pro days. And most mock draft again and again, these are mock drafts. They're not scout drafts. Like mock drafts, scout drafts, we all know are two completely different things. But in this consensus mock drafts for him, they they have him like Pro Football Network has him thirty second. Primetime Sports Talk has him twenty seventh. Sports Illustrated has him thirty second. Uh and then, and then these individual, there's like individual drafts for certain teams. They're kind of all over the board. But I, I mean, again, I'm not saying this is gospel. I'm just saying that some have him in the first round and at four, five, seven, there's no way at 173. Like he'd have to be a, a big 210 pound corner that's going to play a lot of cover two and press, uh, people at the line of scrimmage and then maybe not run as fast, but he can't be that light and be that, that, that slow. That's slow for, for a, a guy of that size. That's, yeah. Uh, I, I yeah. again, I, I pay a little bit more attention to some of the mocks when we get a little bit closer. Um, 
And when I say the mocks, I mean mocks by people who actually, you know, really do this. Um, people who really, you know, this is part of the, the you know, their bread, their bread is buttered because they actually pay attention to things like this. Not, you know, any, I realize anybody can put a mock drive out there. So, but I'm talking about the people who've actually shown, you know, historic ability to do so. Um, yeah, I've, I've not, I've not seen anybody on that. I haven't been first Um, have, have many where, forget about first round, first, first three, four rounds. I mean, I've got one pulled up here at a pretty reputable spot. Doesn't have them anywhere in the top five rounds. Um, so, and based off, uh, NFL.com's, uh, scouting profile, uh, of him, I, I mean, they don't have any projections yet by way of rounds, but there's, there's just no way. Um, so yeah, I, again, we'll, when we get closer to the draft, I suppose we'll touch into some of that stuff, but yeah, as a whole for the combine, I say not a lot of results to go over for the ducks, uh, collectively, um, in every which measurable for any number of reasons, uh, I, I did think that Johnny Johnson, since he is the one who does have the most um, to go over, I, I think his kind of really, quite honestly, just made sense. I'm not going to say good, bad, or otherwise. It just it just did um, for who he is, for what he was as a player in, in college football. Um, the fact that he turned in, you know, at four six, uh, didn't shock me i mean again it's not an incredible time for a receiver um it's not the slowest time either but he was what he was as as a college receiver you know he at times showed you some separation and ability to get there well that's what frankly a four six is kind of indicative of um but at the same time you know running the uh some of the other drills in the time that he did or, or the vertical or broad jump as he did and the comparative scale of the receiver position didn't exactly stack up in a, in a great way. And I went, but at the same time, I, I'm not, I'm not floored by that. Um, you know, I, I, frankly, I'm, I was happy for Johnny to get invited to the combine. I think he'll have a chance to as a day three, late day three is either, either a potential pick and or, you know, priority free agent. Yeah. But I didn't think any of his results were stunning in in a negative way. I just thought, yeah, in, in this particular draft class with you know the caliber receivers involved, he's probably going to be in the lower quartile in a lot of these various different tests and measurables. That's not a knock. That's just reality. That's, that's just what it is. Did you say? Did you say? Did you say yeah. quartile? <laughs> I'm not going to break it down any further than that, but you know, it's, it was what it was. <laughs> nah, I remember Johnny's sophomore year. A, a scout reached out to me and asked me, started asking me about him, and, and he he liked a lot of his just, you know, the way he get, got in and out of cuts, um, the way he moved, the way he ran after the catch. But so much has happened since then. Like it, it's be it injuries, be it QB differences, be it the COVID year. Like, and I and I. The same scout is still like, yeah, I kind of like him, but he's kind of not as high on him. So I was kind of hoping for Johnny that he would run a little bit better, but that's sort of what I thought he was, was about four six. And that he's, you know, he's, I could see him, if he can play special teams, you know, be, be on kickoff, et cetera, maybe even be on punt, then I could see him having a chance of being someone's fifth or sixth receiver. At the very least, I think he ends up as, on a practice squad because, because he has enough talent to warrant, you know, some time to develop on someone's practice squad, but 
it's going to be tough for him to to land on a fifty three man roster. Oh, absolutely. No, I I think I completely agree in that. I think he's somebody that special teams is going to be his ticket. Special teams is the way that he gets there. Um, entirely. I I think that you talk. Obviously, we know he's one of the most willing blockers as a perimeter receiver in really in the country that I had seen this season, especially for a guy his size. He was one of the better perimeter blockers, certainly on Oregon's roster. But as I say, in general, I thought it, that's one of his strong suits. And on kickoff coverage, that was something that, you know, he, he had some pretty aggressive hits in there, obviously, along the way. His The way he's going to make a team, the the only way and, and that I see from a, a, you know, like you're talking about the 53 cents, is, yeah, special teams is going to have to be a really big factor in that. And, uh, and, and he has the ability to do it. So again, best luck to him and, and to all of, uh, the former Oregon players who are going to give it a go. And, uh, pro day isn't until April 1st this year. So have time certainly to go over it further. And then from the pro day to the draft at that point is going to only be about three and a half weeks. Uh, so the draft process, uh, is a well underway, but, uh, you know, a lot of the things that will, Play into things by way of factors with the draft, uh, free agency being the next one of them. Uh, well, really the franchise tag thing, I guess, technically being the next thing because that's for the next day or so. Uh, but then after that free agency, uh, sometime next week, that's where, uh, the major movement will occur by way of how some of these NFL rosters will be composed. And then that'll lead us into the draft. And that's after free agency, after a degree of the dust settling in free agency, I think is when the mock draft, uh, industry, can get to be a wee bit more accurate because right now it's, well, these teams need all these various yeah. different positions, but if they go out and sign and address a lot of their top needs and free agency, well, then they may or may not need to necessarily draft at the same position. So I think again, a couple of weeks from now, we'll have, a, we'll all have a little bit better indication uh, in the mock draft side of things and projection side of things uh, and which teams need what kind of positions, all that kind of stuff. So to the, Women's basketball tournament and, uh, that being, uh, also coming up here as well. Obviously the, again, the Pac-12 tournament already taking place, uh, Oregon falling out there, but again, not a, a bad showing, I wouldn't say. Uh, but nevertheless, probably, probably one game shy of what they were certainly shooting for. Uh, losing to Utah is not a embarrassment by any stretch of the imagination. It was actually quite a entertaining game, uh, on Friday night. Yes, Oregon obviously wants to go to a final and then give itself the best chance imaginable against Stanford. Didn't have the chance to do that when you lose to Utah. So in the big picture, even though we're a week from, well, six six days from Selection Sunday, uh, I'd say with pretty much absolute certainty, Oregon's not going to be a top 16 seed in, in the national sense. So therefore, they will not be hosting games. Uh Again, in the big picture, I'm not going to say that that in and of itself means it's been a disappointing season. I, I just don't think that's true. Um, I don't think that that's the only lens through which something can be evaluated. But when you now have to go on the road, almost certainly, to begin your trek in the NCAA tournament, that frames in part how you define success in the NCAA tournament for this team this year. If they are a five-seed in the NCAA tournament, is it still, is this still a team? The program as a whole in the big picture you think of in the sense of 
the other probably a perennial top, you know, Sweet 16 kind of competitive situation. Being a five seed doesn't mean you're not. But being a five seed on the women's side when you have to go on the road as opposed to host, <laughs> you're not in a neutral setting. Um, that can change the way that the path is viewed because, like I say, they're going to be playing at the four seed. And that's assuming there's still a five seed. I think it's a pretty safe assumption, but that's if they are a five seed. I think they will be. Well, yeah, getting to the Sweet 16, if you're playing at the four seed and on their court, um, that may be a bit of a challenge. That may be quite the, cha- <laughs> that may be quite the challenge, quite honestly, depending on, on which team you end up drawing in all of this. Uh, your, your thoughts on what has been, uh, again, a season so far they have off this week, uh, before we, uh, we learn on Sunday again where, where the postseason will take the Ducks. Uh, on the women's side of things. And like I say, uh, at this point, it's pretty much a mortal lock that'll be, uh, on the road because uh, I, I really can't come up with any particular way in which they'll end up hosting. Now you're saying it's not disappointing because expectations weren't that high. I, I, I thought they were higher than this. No, I, no, no, no. They, they were high, but when you finish second in the regular season in the Pac 12, you just happen to be just below the threshold of a top 16 national seed. If you're, again, if you're the, if you're in the five seed line, like what we're, we're splitting hairs here, especially when you consider that they were without their three best yeah. players for pretty much damn near all of non-conference play. Um, pretty much. That's why I say, I, I don't think in and of itself that the season is a disappointment because they just missed out on hosting. Yeah, of course you'd rather have it. Yeah, you'd rather be in the Pac-12 final than losing to Utah in the semis. But I don't think that either of those two things means that the entire season was a disappointment. Again, they did finish second in the Pac-12. Well, it's going to be a team that has probably like five or six teams go to the NCAA tournament. I don't think finishing second in the regular season is a bad thing at all. I mean, I, I, I agree. in the big picture, like I say, I think they've had a successful season it's one that you just have to art you you could probably quibble about whether or not they have truly maximized in the course of relative success (laughs) i think you can also talk about this team in the sense of did they establish an identity kelly graves has said as much going into the pac-12 tournament that they really hadn't established an identity and i would concur (laughs) i don't believe they have the whole season you know they I don't know what they are stylistically on offense. I think that it, it's unusual to say, but I think this team's identity might actually be on the defensive end. Uh, that's not something you usually say about Kelly Graves' teams. They have gotten better on the, a lot better on defense. That is to their credit. Um, but with it, I don't think they really established an identity on offense. Um, again, they have three potent scores. But I'm not sure, stylistically speaking, that there's an identity with them. I think it's just that they end up being productive players. Now, the point is, is when you call them a pick-and-roll team? No. <laughs> that's not how they're doing the scoring. You know, that that's not the primary means by which they're accomplishing their, their scoring at all. Are they a prolific shooting team, particularly from the perimeter? 
not really no um not not in the sense that you know they they had been historically certainly so are they a five out style of offense not at all uh not even close really so they're a guard centric just not necessarily incredible shooting team whose best player is a post that's why I say there's not really necessarily an offensive identity. Guard-centric, just not exquisite by way of shooting. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, the best player is the post player. That's uh, that's kind of a recipe for, like I say, kind of a hodgepodge of, of identity. Um, capable of scoring in a variety of ways, just where that variety is so undefined in a sense uh that it could be any it could be any particular way on any given night on one hand you could say is how well why is that necessarily a bad thing well it's a bad thing when at this time of year you're asking all right who gets the ball with the game on the line um and there's any there's there's a variety of different answers to that question um who is the most clutch player on this team and I don't mean this in a negative sense but quite honestly if you ask if you pose yourself that question um I think you probably if you ask Oregon fans who is the most clutch player on this team I think you get a variety of answers and it's not because in a good sense like oh well they've all proven it no it's that there hasn't necessarily been one player to prove it in my mind, I think it's India Rogers has been the most clutch player on the team. I think she's been the one who's taken over the most in certain moments. But at the same time, is she the one who is also far and away the most likely to get the ball in those spots or the best shooter in those spots? She's a really good player. She's one of the, you know, she's all conference. All three of their top players are all conference. At the same time, I think if you ask, like I say, I, I think she's the most clutch. Yet at the same time, most fans would probably say, yeah, but the ball's either got to be for Pow Pow or Sobley at the end. So I, I'm not entirely sure what to make of that heading into the NCAA tournament here. I think a week away in the week hiatus that they have here will be good for them in the big picture. Um, this was definitely a team who needed a break because of how loaded their February was. But, uh, yeah, I, I, like I say, the power of March is that it can redefine some things. If this is a team who ends up making it back to a Sweet 16 again, I think they've pretty much just lived up to, at that point, what expectations were all season. And if you get there, well, then then you see. Then anything could happen. If they make it to a Sweet 16, if they bump off a four seed along the way, well, then they're probably playing one of the one seeds in the Sweet 16. And then, then like I say, from there, then we'll see. Then wherever the chips fall. But I think it's been a successful season, just that just happens to have a little bit of some undefined areas to it. But you know what? Last year, they were a team that really crawled their way into the tournament, injured, pow-pow was out, had no identity, you name it. And then in the tournament, they won a couple of games by playing a pick-and-roll style and playing big. And lo and behold, it was, all right, well, how do you look back at last year's team? Well, last year's team was the team that made it to the Sweet 16. Not the really young team that played crazy on the along the way. It had struggles. This one hurt, but it was a sweet 16 team. That's it. That's the way that the season was. This season, it's going to be, well, to be determined. 
uh, by what ends up happening here uh, late, later next week when once the bracket is set and everything else. So with that, uh, that will do it here for this edition of the Ducks Confidential Podcast. As we touched on, like I say, the basketball season for the men and women and the combine. We've also got spring football coming up. Uh, so obviously we could go over any number of different topics by way of you know, things to look forward to and the like. But point is, is when does that start? That starts on Thursday. Thursday. Oh, that's right. But I'm going down there to, uh, yeah, two practices, uh, in t-shirts only, uh, on Thursday and, uh, and Saturday t-shirts and helmets. That is. And, uh, yeah, we'll see what, uh, the first couple days of spring practice look like for the ducks under Dan Lanning and company. And then they will have, they will have a couple of week hiatus until the end of the month and the final 13 practices there. Uh, 12, well, 11 leading up to the 12th being the spring game and then one thereafter. So, uh, again, we'll, we'll look forward to seeing what all that looks like. But, uh, in terms of, you know, yeah, all the questions of this or that, uh, frankly, we'll, we'll get to that, like I say, a little bit closer to, uh, the post spring, uh, spring break side of spring practice because in the first two, uh, helmets only days, I'm not sure how much will or won't be gleaned by anything. Uh, quite honestly, in spring, usually, usually pretty minimal. Pretty minimal, um, but it'll be a little bit more after a break. I want the quarterback battle settled. Yeah, well, uh, you you and many, I'm sure. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, like I say, some some of the obvious stuff by way of position battles, all those sorts of things. Again, we'll get to here in the uh, in the weeks ahead as we get closer to and in the middle of uh, spring practice. So, as I say for myself and for Aaron that will do it for this edition of the podcast again thanks to everybody who listens in the first place if you don't already make sure to subscribe to the Ducks Confidential Podcast wherever you get your podcast make sure to give us a like review the whole thing so that way other people can uh, can find us as well we will see y'all again soon